you get back. So we do have uh, Ezekiel 36 that is before us tonight. Very important chapter. Father, we ask that you would bless this time in the study of your word. Uh, as we study this portion of Ezekiel, it really is the heart of, of Ezekiel uh, for us because it has implication for us today. And Lord, I pray that uh, we would uh, look at this carefully to understand that you're the one that indeed, as Isaiah declared, knows the end from the beginning. And, and there is a future for Israel, and, and there are some days ahead that will be perilous and difficult for them, but your faithfulness will come through. And Lord, uh, there's application for us to make, knowing that you will be faithful to us. And so, Lord, bless this time if we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. As we enter into Ezekiel chapter 36, we read, And you, son of man, prophesy the mountains of Israel, uh, to the mountains of Israel, and say, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because the enemy has said of you, Aha, the ancient heights have become our possession. Therefore prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord God, because they made you desolate and swallowed you up on every side, so that you became the possession of the rest of the nations, and you are taken up by the lips of talkers and slandered by the people. Therefore, verse 4 goes on to read, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God in the mountains of the hills, the rivers, the valleys, the desolate wastes, the cities that have become forsaken, which became plunder and mockery for the rest of the nations all around. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, surely I have spoken in my burning jealousy against the rest of the nations and against all Edom, who gave my land to themselves as a possession and wholehearted joy and spiteful minds in order to plunder its open country. Now, as we enter into this section of Ezekiel, it's the final section, the next four chapters dealing with Israel specifically, them coming back into the land, uh, a major war that will take place in the latter days, in Ezekiel 38 and 39. At the end of Ezekiel 39, we see God pouring out a spirit on the nation of Israel. And then we're going to read about the millennium reign, a millennial temple that will be on the scene. And here's the thing t for us to always remember is, as we go through the Old Testament, going through the New Testament, now Paul the Apostle, he would write, there's four things that we are not to be ignorant of in his writings in the New Testament. He would say, number one, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, don't be ignorant concerning Satan's devices. So we need to be aware of his devices, and we can go through the New Testament, and we can see uh, his devices, how he deceives, he's a counterfeiter, uh, how he twists scripture and the temptation of Jesus. So we're not to be ignorant of Satan's devices, and I think that's so, so important today, because the day in which we're living in, Satan is deceiving people. He's deceiving people by twisting the word of God, uh, having them... Uh, be embracing uh, false doctrine. Uh, he is one that he will appeal to the flesh. Uh, all these different things, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the, uh, of the flesh, the pride of life. And we need to be not ignorant of his devices. Second of all, that we are to be ones, that we're not to be ignorant, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, of spiritual gifts. Paul said to the Corinthians then, then I want you to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. Second of all, or third of all, so don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. Don't be ignorant of spiritual gifts. 
Thirdly, he said, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep. And he begins to talk about the resurrection and then the rapture of the church. Lest you, you know, grieve as though you have no hope. When someone dies that is a Christian, we grieve. Anyone who dies that we know or are friends of, we grieve. But we as Christians, that we don't grieve as though we have no hope. When we have a brother or sister, a believer that dies, there is hope that is there. And he goes on and he talks about the rapture of the church uh, in First Thessalonians chapter 4. And he says, comfort one another with these words. So don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. Don't be ignorant of spiritual gifts. Don't be ignorant concerning the resurrection and the rapture of the church. And then fourthly, Paul writes in Romans chapter 11, don't be ignorant of God's plan towards Israel. And in chapter 11, he says that, I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. That's chapter 11 of Romans. Lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, as Paul says. So Paul tells us that there is a plan that God has for Israel. Now, as we look at the scriptures, this is important for us to understand. We don't want to be ignorant of God's plan towards Israel. Back in Genesis chapter 12, when God called Abraham out of his father's house to come to a land that I'm going to show you, I'm going to make you a father of a great nation. And then God would go on to say, as he made this Abrahamic covenant with Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. That's still a principle that is true today, as we have Israel on the scene today. But as God made a covenant, it was a unilateral covenant that he made with Abraham, as you see in chapter 15, the animals that were sliced in half. And usually both parties would go through the animals making this covenant. But Abraham was in a deep sleep, and it was only the Lord that went through it. And have you noticed, and we continue to uh, see here, that when the Lord talks about bringing Israel to the place of restoration, that he says, I will do it. I will do it. So the Lord will be faithful to his word. And there is a popular doctrine that I've talked about oftentimes going through Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel called replacement theology. And replacement theology has become more popular even in evangelical churches that Israel doesn't have a role in the last days, that the church is Israel. Not that we've replaced Israel, but we are Israel. We're spiritual Israel, and the promises for Israel are for us. Well, the Bible doesn't say that the church is Israel. Israel is Israel. The church is the church. God has a plan for Israel, and God has a plan for the church. And I believe the plan, listen, we don't want to be ignorant concerning the rapture of the church. We don't want to be ignorant concerning God's plan for Israel, that God has a plan for the church, and that is he will rapture us out of and away from the hour of tribulation that shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. I believe that's a specific promise that God gave to the church of Philadelphia. It is for us that he will take us out of and away from the hour of tribulation. There's only one time that there is tribulation upon the whole earth, and that is during the tribulation period, the, uh, the hour of trial, it might read in, in your translation. But it is the tribulation period. He said, I will take you out of and away from that hour. Not that I will 
you know, help you through that, you know, hour, but I will take you out of that hour. So I believe that the church is going to be raptured before Daniel's 70th week. When we get done with Matthew, we're going to talk about the 70 weeks of Daniel. Matter of fact, I'm going to touch on it this Sunday when we have the, uh, the text before us concerning the triumphal entry of Jesus. And as Jesus comes in, he's fulfilling part of that prophecy of the 70 weeks of Daniel. But as we read that prophecy, the 70th week of Daniel, very, very important for us to understand, or you're going to get all mixed up, you're going to get all confused, you're going to buy into things like the replacement theology. We know that there's still the 70th week that needs to be fulfilled concerning your people, Daniel, and your holy city, Daniel chapter 9. We will go over that very specifically when we study the book of Daniel, starting probably in August this fall, going through that book. But I think it's critical for us to understand what the Old Testament says, even as we've gone through many, many verses, whole chapters, Isaiah in, in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, that speaks about the restoration of Israel. And we know that is yet future. Chapter 36 is speaking of that time that God is going to bring them back from the captivity. And we know that there's a promise that he would bring them back from the captivity of Babylon. After 70 years, they indeed would come back after the Medo-Persian took over the Babylonian Empire. Cyrus, prophesied by Isaiah, uh, as we see, Isaiah is naming Cyrus as God's servant 200 years before Cyrus was even born. And Cyrus would give the decree that they could come back, 536 B.C., and they could come back to Jerusalem and they could rebuild the temple. That would begin the second temple era up until 70 A.D. when the second temple was destroyed. So there's one captivity that we have seen the prophecies that they would come back that has already been fulfilled, a near fulfillment. And then there is a captivity that was a far fulfillment that is spoke of that they would come back. And we see here that Ezekiel, as well as the other prophets that are on the scene, remember Ezekiel's in Babylon, that he's prophesying. Daniel's in the palace of Nebuchadnezzar. He is prophesying. Jeremiah is prophesying in Jerusalem. And we know that before that, there was Isaiah that was on the scene in Jerusalem, speaking to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. And they would speak of that time when Israel that they will be restored, and uh, we know that even as that, that boundary of God's land given to Israel, to Abraham, goes from the Nile River over to the Euphrates River, that in the millennium reign, as you put all the pieces together, that Israel as a nation is going to expand, and they once again are going to be uh, the jewel, the, the uh, beauty of the world, of all the nations as the Lord will come back and restore. It's the only nation that it is spoken of that there's going to be a restoration. And it's not just a physical restoration. It is a spiritual restoration that we're going to see. So God gave Israel the land of milk and honey. The land was fruitful, so much so that the surrounding nations desired it. And the children of Israel had been removed at this time because of their sin, because of their idol worship. And the other nations wanted to move in. But God gave the land to his people, and they're going to come back. 
And over the centuries, we have seen that this little piece of land has been desired by the other nations, and God has promised that he would bring them back into the land. Because you see, there's a second captivity that has been spoken of in the scriptures, and that is where they would be taken captive by all the nations. And even Jesus would speak about that in the Olivet Discourse in Luke's narrative. In Luke chapter 21, that Jesus said, as he said, Jerusalem is going to be surrounded by armies. You know that his desolation is near. He's speaking about Rome that would come in in 70 AD and surround Jerusalem. They would eventually break through the walls. They would tear the temple apart to where not one stone was left upon another. And they would kill 1.1 million Jews, according to Josephus, the Jewish historian. And they would be taken off into the other nations. He goes on and he says... Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. For there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So Jesus says there's going to be uh, the Jews once again led captive to all the nations, and that's what happened. So they were out of their homeland for 2,000 years till 1948, and all of a sudden they became a nation again. And we're going to see and talk about that as we move into chapter 37, dry bones that, that come to life. That which is dead comes to life once again. So God says here in the verses that we read, opening up chapter 36, that he would judge Edom and the nations who are spiteful towards Israel. Let's continue reading in verse 6. Therefore, uh, prophesy concerning the land of Israel and say to the mountains, the hills, the rivers, and the valleys, thus says the Lord God, behold, I have spoken in my jealousy and my uh, fury because you have borne the shame of the nations. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I have raised my hand in an oath that surely the nations that are around you shall bear their own shame. The nations that have scorned Israel, they will be scorned. We saw the proclamations against those nations, which would include Babylon in Isaiah and Jeremiah and also here in Ezekiel. That would include Edom. We saw that in the previous chapter, but also uh, Tyre and Sidon and Egypt. And uh, Babylon was not specifically mentioned here in Ezekiel, but in Jeremiah and also in uh, Isaiah. And that's an interesting study that we've looked at. We don't have time to talk about it tonight, but in Revelation chapter 17 and 18, we see the destruction of Babylon, religious Babylon, and then commercial Babylon. So it's very interesting to look at that, that will happen uh, yet future concerning Babylon. But uh, we continue in verse 8 here. But you, O mountains of Israel, you shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people Israel, for they are about to come. For indeed I am for you, I will turn to you, and you shall till and sown. I will multiply men upon you, uh, all the house of Israel, all of it. And the city shall be inhabited, and the ruins rebuilt. And I will multiply upon you man and beast, and they shall increase and bear young. I will make you inhabited in the former times and do better for you than at the beginnings. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. 
Verse 12, yes, I will cause men to walk on you, my people Israel. They shall take possession of you, and you shall be their inheritance. No more shall you bereave them of children. So here the Lord, he says, judgment's going to come against the nations that came against Israel. But you, Israel, are going to shoot forth your branches, and you will be restored, and you will be blessed. Matter of fact, that know that... You, that um, that as I make you inhabited as in former times and do better for you than in the beginnings. So he's beginning to set the stage of a future time that's going to come when they come back into the land. And he goes on in verse 13, thus says the Lord God, because they say to you, you devour men and bereave your, your nation of children. Therefore you shall devour men no more nor bereave your nation anymore, says the Lord God. Nor will I let you hear the taunts of the nations anymore, nor bear the reproach of the peoples anymore, nor shall you cause your nation to stumble anymore, says the Lord God. Now, besides punishing Israel's enemies and restoring Israel's land, God's going to remove Israel's reproach and will once again be seen in a place of prestige and honor as God's people. Now, that ultimately is in the future. That hasn't happened yet. When they came back after the Babylonian captivity, they were still under the rule of the Medo-Persian Empire. And as they built the temple, as, as Nehemiah came back in 445 BC and built a wall around Jerusalem, their enemies came against them. There was all kinds of difficulties, and they were still a reproach of others. And then the Medo-Persian Empire was was then replaced by the Grecian Empire. And you go through that history, and even at that time, uh, you have Antiochus, Epiphanes, that Daniel prophesied about 200 years before Christ that came into Jerusalem and desecrated the temple and killed many Jews. They were still in difficulties. They weren't the, the ones that it speaks here that the nations will not taunt you anymore um, and you, you shall cause your nation to stumble anymore. Uh, the, the prestige of the world, the beauty of the world, that hasn't happened yet, even in 1948. So they're out of their homeland. Jesus said, that Jerusalem will be trampled on her foot until the times of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Interesting that he says that. And in 1948, as they became a nation again, yet Jerusalem was still divided. And so we are talking about a future time here. We are talking about uh, the fulfillment, ultimately, that comes in the millennium period. We're just seeing a glimpse of this restoration after, you know, the Romans came in, after 2,000 years out of their homeland, becoming a nation once again in 1948. And we're going to talk more about it as we continue on. So he, he continues prophesying about the renewal of Israel. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, verse 17, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own ways and deeds. To me their way was like the uncleanness of a woman in her customary impurity, so it was their past sin that caused judgment when they were in the land. They polluted the land, of course. They polluted their hearts. We've looked at chapter after chapter after chapter in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel talking about that. But I want to bring it home closer to us. Because there's something here, it speaks to us, that as Christians, we are God's people. And we need to be careful that we don't allow our hearts to be defiled, polluted. Our lives being polluted, that which is false and immoral. And unfortunately, you know, we can look at Israel and we can look at their history, a long history that is, 
you know, 4,000 years old from Abraham, 2,000 years before Christ, and then the next 2,000 years. And we see, you know, their history. And we can say, boy, Israel, they sure are stubborn. They sure have rebelled, just as the Lord said. But we as Christians, we can do the same thing, the church. And in the church today, we see that more and more as it's growing, I'm talking about the church as a whole, that, that church is getting away from the word of God. A similar pattern to what we have seen here in Ezekiel, a nation that's getting away from the word of God and holiness and godliness, the church doing that and defiling itself with worldly things and immoral things and adopting those things. But in our own lives, we as a church, we want to stand on the word of God. And in our own lives, we do as well. We don't want those things coming into our hearts that will pollute us and and defile us. Um, The Lord says, follow me and have a heart for me. In verse 18, therefore, I poured out my fury on them for the blood they have shed on the land and their idols with which they had defiled it. So I scattered them among the nations and they were dispersed throughout the countries. I judged them according to their ways and their deeds. And when they came to the nations, wherever they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they have gone out of his land. In verse 21, but I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel have profaned among the nations wherever they went. So they profaned God's holy name with their idol worship and sin. We've talked about that quite extensively going through these books of the prophets In verse 22, therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. You see, those of replacement theology say Israel was unfaithful. Israel, you know, crucified, you know, the Lord. Listen, we all were guilty of that. Jews and Gentiles. Yes, he went before the religious leaders and they handed him over to the Romans, but it's because of your sin and my sin. Always remember that. But the thing is, the Lord is saying, I'm not doing it for their sake. You know, I'm doing it for my name's sake. And they're going to see that I am faithful to my word that has been given to them, that I am going to bring you back into the land, that Abraham, that this is your land, the land I've given to you. I'll make you a great nation. And it was a covenant that would be established with Abraham. And as we continue reading verse 22, Therefore say to the house of Israel, says the Lord, I do not do this for your sake, as we read, um, O house of Israel, but my holy namesake, for you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. We continue verse 23. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nation shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God. And when I am hallowed in you before their eyes, for I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all the countries and bring you back into your own lands. So again, God showed his justice when he poured uh, out his judgment on Israel for their sins. But he's shown his grace and faithfulness as he brings him back into the land that he says from among the nations, wherever it is that you went. And then as we read in in verse 25, that then I sprinkle clean water on you, you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Listen, verse 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will 
put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and you will keep my judgments and do them. And then you shall dwell in the land I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. Now that sounds very familiar, doesn't it? It's familiar because that's what Jeremiah would say to them in this new covenant that God's going to give this new covenant that they're going to have a new heart, a new relationship, uh, a new spirit, and no longer a heart of stone, but my spirit within you, and you're going to walk in my statutes, and you're going to walk in my way. Now the question is, when is this going to take place? Some say that it speaks of the return from their captivity in Babylon. There would be joy, there would be excitement when they came back, but only a few came back, and most stayed away, and then they would come back and there would be trouble and difficulty. So I think this is speaking of something that is much greater than that. Others say that it's speaking of the time when they came back into the land, Israel becoming a nation in 1948, which is really a miracle. And I think it's speaking more of that as well, because when you go to Israel today, most Jews in Israel today are secular. And, and so the Lord is saying here, there's going to be not just a physical restoration, as I mentioned before, there's going to be this spiritual rest restoration as well. And that will take place when their eyes are opened up at the end of the tribulation period and they realize that Jesus was the Messiah, that you're our Mashiach. So what we see now going on in Israel today, God is preparing his people for a final restoration. But they're going to go through very much difficulty. They're going to go through the great tribulation. And Daniel speaks of that. And Zechariah speaks of that. And we know that difficulty is going to come here in chapter 38. speaks of a war in the latter days that will come against Israel. But let's continue reading in verse 29. I will deliver you from your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and multiply it and bring no famine upon you. I will multiply the fruit of your trees and increase your fields so that you need never again bear the reproach of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good and you will loathe, uh, that is despise yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. And so here the land will, you know, um, is going to blossom once again. That's happening right now, even to a greater degree. Uh, when you go to Israel, what they have done since 1948, absolutely amazing. Uh, you see the desert blooming, the agriculture, the technology, absolutely amazing. Greenhouses all over. Um, they grow just about every kind of crop there is. When you go to Israel, they'll tell you there's only four that crops that they can't grow. One is rice um, because of the climate, but they grow uh, fruit, the fruit that is shipped out, the flowers, the wheat, um, other fruit, uh, just uh, grains, bananas, uh, you name it, they grow it, onions and corn and everything. And it's a very fertile land and it's going to continue to, to bloom in the millennium rain we know that the desert down there in the Dead Sea, that it's going to bloom. And, and the Dead Sea is going to come to uh, a place where there's nothing that lives, that is alive in the Dead Sea. That's why it's called the Dead Sea. But it's going to have fish that's going to be in it. So here, as the Lord is saying, I recognize your sin, and, um, but I'm going to restore you. And you're going to bloom again. And not for your sake I do this, says the Lord. Let it be known to you, verse 32. Be ashamed and confounded, 
for your own ways, O house of Israel. And, and thus says the Lord God, on the day I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will enable you to dwell in the cities and the ruins shall be rebuilt. The desolate land shall be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. So they will say this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden and the uh, wasted, desolate, and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations which are left all around you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what is desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will do it. And thus says the Lord God, I will also let the house of Israel inquire of me to do this for them. I will increase their men like a flock, like a flock offered as a holy sacrifices, like the flock of Jerusalem on its feast days, and shall be ruined cities be fulfilled with flocks of men. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. So we're seeing a partial fulfillment of this today since they become a nation. The land is blossoming. They're rehabiting the ancient cities. It's very amazing. When you go to Israel... I think that the proper name when you talk to Israelis, when you talk to the people there, they like to, to be called Israelis. They like Israel. They, they, you know, call it the Holy Land. That's okay. But the reason that they like us to say we're in Israel is because it connects the old with the new. And you go to the ancient cities, the ruins that are there, and next to it is the modern city. And, and the, the land is blossoming. What they have done... In 70 years, 1948, so um, 70 years, 70 plus years as a nation is absolutely incredible. The beauty out of the ashes that, uh, that Isaiah speaks of, out of the ashes of the Holocaust as they came into the land and then, and then as the British would withdraw their occupation of that area, that the United Nations came up with a plan. They said, this part is going to be Palestine. This part is going to be Israel. We need to give them a homeland. The Jews were coming back. They, they were leaving Europe and, and coming back into the land. And Israel said, yes, we accept that. The, the, Palestine, uh, the Palestinians, the Arabs said, no, we're not going to accept that. And the neighboring nations told Israel, do not accept that because if they declare independence, we're going to push them into the sea. And so as Ben-Gurion on May 14, 1948, declared independence, it was approved by the United Nations, by the United States. Uh, uh, you know, the uh, main member of the United Nations. You can kind of research it, how pressure was put on President uh, Truman back then uh, to accept it. But some of his cabinet members said, no, don't do it because war is going to break out. And, and Truman said, yes, Israel will be a nation. And as uh, they had a little document, you can Google it, and on that it said that, yes, the United States recognizes Israel, uh, the, and it wasn't Israel that they said, the, the Jewish state, that's the way it reads, you can read it, that we recognize the Jewish state, and Truman, uh, he said, they don't have a name, what's their name? So he crossed out Jewish state, and he put the state of Israel. And then he put the time that he signed it and the date, May 14, 1948. Isaiah comes along and says, can a nation be born in one day? I think that that in itself is, uh, is a fulfillment of Isaiah 66 that said that. Because a birth certificate has what? A name? A date? 
and a time. And that's the, this document, this official document, when Israel became a nation. And of course, they would be attacked by the nations around them, and God would preserve them. And in 70 years, they didn't have an organized army or any of those things. And of course, for 70 years, their neighbors have been very hostile towards them, but they have become a strong nation rebuilding, uh, a leader in technology, in agriculture. What they have done to the land is absolutely amazing. So we're seeing a partial fulfillment of these things, but they're going to go through great difficulty, as we know, um, in the days ahead. But let's look at chapter 37. The hand of the Lord came upon me in verse 1 of the chapter and brought me in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley and it was full of bones. And then he caused me to pass by them all around and behold there were many, uh, very many in the open valley and indeed they were very dry. So here's Ezekiel. He looks out and he sees this valley full of, of bones, dry bones that are out there. And verse 3, and he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, Oh, Lord God, you know. A good, good answer when the Lord you know, asks something. Lord, you're the one that knows. Can these bones live? Uh, normally, the, the logical answer is no. These, these bones are dead. They can't live. But Ezekiel, in his wisdom, he says, Lord, you know. You know. And... and um, So verse 4, again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And thus says the Lord God of these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you and cover you with the skin and put breath in you. And you shall live and then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling and the bones came together bone to bone. And indeed I looked at sinews and the flesh came to them. And his skin covered them over, and there was no breath in them. And so he said to me, prophesy, verse 9, to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord, come from the four winds of, 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 O breath, and breathe on the slain that they might live. In verse 10, so I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood upon their feet with an exceedingly great army. So here is the vision of the dry bones, the bones that are dead. Can these bones live, Ezekiel? You know, and they begin to rattle, and they come together, and it's a skeleton. And then pretty soon, you know, the muscles and the skin comes on, and they're just corpse that are standing there, and then the Lord breathes life into them, and they're alive again. That which was dead is alive, and it speaks of as they come together, an exceedingly great army. Now, there are those who come along and say that this is speaking of the IDF. Well, they have a great army. Not only what amazing, what they have done, you know, agriculturally, technology, you know, what they've done in building their cities, but they have a great army, one of the most powerful armies on the face of the earth. Some of the greatest pilots in the world are, are Israeli pilots. But it's speaking of a nation, generally, that was dead, that has now come alive. And verse 11, then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. So we are told what they are. They indeed say, our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, 
I will open your graves and cause you to come up from the graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. And I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord has spoken and performed it, says the Lord. A great miracle that we have seen happen in our lifetime. Israel out of land for 2,000 years. Jesus spoke of that. Uh, again, as I mentioned to you in Luke chapter 21, that they will be led away captive to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled, which is very, very interesting that that is mentioned uh, by Jesus. Because what is the times of the Gentiles? Well, the times of the Gentiles, some say, uh, would happen in 1948. Israel becomes a nation, and as they did... Um, only half of Jerusalem belonged to Israel, the western half. The eastern half, you can go there today and there's a green line, and the eastern part of, of Jerusalem that included the Temple Mount area, that was Jordan, um, the nation of Jordan. And so they are attacked, they survive, the Lord defeats those attacking armies around them, 1948. And then in the Six-Day War, as those nations, Egypt and Syria and Lebanon and, and um, Jordan and Saudi Arabia and Iran, that they were determined to push them into the sea, the Six-Day War would break out. And Israel took all of East Jerusalem and they went clear to the Jordan River. And that is today what is called the West Bank. And they took the Gaza uh, area, which is today Gaza, cleared down. Actually, they took down in the Sinai Peninsula to the Nile River and then what is the Golan Heights from Syria. So Israel got bigger, but something happened very significantly. That some say that was the time of the, the Gentiles being fulfilled. When for the very first time, listen... What is a miracle? One of the things that helped me to really understand that the Bible is true. When I was searching these things, can I trust the Bible? Can I trust that it is true? There are a lot of good reasons uh, why uh, I believe that as I read and researched it, I can trust what the Bible is saying is true because of ancient manuscripts, because of the Dead Sea Scrolls, that it hasn't been changed, but because of prophecy as well. And what do you do with Israel? Because God prophesied that they are going to come back into the land, that which was dead. For 2,000 years, as Titus came and destroyed Jerusalem, they were dispersed throughout the, the nations of the world. And then 2,000 years later, unheard of in human history, they come back and they become a nation once again. The dry bones coming together and coming alive once again, inhabiting the cities growing and, and absolutely amazing. Then they took all of Jerusalem and for the very first time in 2,600 years since 605 B.C. when Babylon came into Jerusalem that they sovereignly ruled over Jerusalem. Absolutely amazing. So was that the time of the Gentiles being fulfilled? Well, there are some that say, no, that, not that time. And here's the interesting thing. You can do your own research on it. In Revelation chapter 11, in the middle of the tribulation period, when the tribulation temple is there standing, that John's told to measure the temple, but leave out the court. This is Revelation chapter 11, verse 2, which is outside the temple and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they would tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. That's till the end of the tribulation period. 
So some say that it's speaking of the time clear up to the end of the tribulation period, according to Revelation chapter 11, verse 2. Now in Romans chapter 11, when it speaks of that blindness has come in part um, to Israel uh, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, that is something different. Not the times of the Gentiles, but the fullness of the Gentiles, I believe, until the rapture of the church. That there is one last Gentile that will be saved, and then the Lord says, that's it. It's going to take us out. Till the fullness of the Gentiles, the, the church age, when, when we are taken out of and away from the hour of tribulation. So God has a plan for the church. There will be tribulation saints in the tribulation period. And the Jews will open up their eyes and recognize that Jesus is their Messiah. But God has a plan for Israel, that national restoration. Absolutely amazing uh, as we, we consider these things. That a nation that was dead for 2,000 years becoming a nation once again. And then Amos says in his last chapter that when Israel comes back into the land, they're not going to be plucked out again. It's not speaking of the Babylonian captivity because they would be plucked out by Rome you know, taken into captivity. But when they come back into the land, 1948, the fig tree blossoming, that is the, the time clock, the end time time clock, the super sign that we're in the last days of Israel becoming a nation once again. But let's finish the chapter as we go into verse uh, 15. That again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, As for you, son of man, take a stick for yourself and write it. For Judah and the children of Israel, his companions, then take another stick and write on it. For Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel, his companions. Then join them one to another for yourself in one stick, and they will become one that is in your hand. Um, so as we read this, you know, the Mormons come along and they'll pull out these verses and say Judah represents the Bible and Joseph, you know, represents the Book of Mormons. And I tie it in with Joseph Smith. It has nothing to do with Joseph Smith. For Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, he's talking about the house of Judah. Judah is Judah. And Ephraim, which is the house of of Israel, the ten northern tribes. It has nothing to do with the Book of Mormon. has nothing to do with Joseph Smith. So they'll try to snow you on that. But verse 18, And when the children of your people speak to you, saying, Will you not show us what you mean by these? Say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Surely I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, the ten northern tribes, the tribes of Israel. It's defined for us there. His companions, and I will join them with it, with the stick of Judah, the house of Judah, and make them one stick, and they will be one in my hand. Remember the nation after Solomon, when Rehoboam was ruling, divided. The house of Israel, the ten northern tribes, the house of Judah to the south. The house of Judah would be taken into captivity by Babylon. You guys know this. The house of Israel by the Assyrians before the Babylonian captivity in 722 B.C. But a lot of people are confused about these things and I want you to be able to explain it to them. And the sticks in which you write will be in your hand before their eyes. And say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations wherever they have gone and will gather them from every side to bring them into their own land. Again, talking about the restoration, coming back into their land. And I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. One king, we've seen this fulfilled now. One king sh shall be over them all, speaking of future. Again, we're seeing a partial fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment in the um, millennium reign, as David will be the king 
over Israel, of course, under the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, who will rule and reign uh, over all the nations. And they will no longer be two nations. They shall uh, ever be divided into two nations again. Uh, it won't happen. They shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions, but I will deliver them from their dwelling places in which they have sinned and, and will cleanse them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. And then we continue in verse 24. That is, he mentions David, my servant shall be king over them, and they shall have all one shepherd, and they shall also walk in my judgment and observe my statutes to do them. So I think Ezekiel and Jeremiah give clear indication that David's going to be the king of Israel in a millennium reign, of course, under the submission of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then they shall dwell in the land, and I give to Jacob my servant, when your fathers dwelt, and then they shall dwell there, and their children, and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will establish them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My tabernacle shall also be with them. Indeed, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The nations also will know that I, the Lord, sanctify Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. So talking about Israel coming back into the land, coming to life, a partial fulfillment we have seen, a fulfillment of that literally becoming a nation once again in 1948. But we've seen that the ultimate fulfillment of all of this is going to be in the millennium reign in the restoration of Israel. Very important for us to understand. Now, next week, we're going to go into Ezekiel 38 and 39. And many of you are looking forward to that. Uh, speaking about the confederation of nations that will come against Israel in the last days, in the latter times, which I believe could be the next major war in the Middle East. And we see the pieces of the puzzle coming together. So again, you want to, to understand these two chapters, 38 and 39, because very, very important. You want to be able to minister to others as we see the upheaval in the Middle East that has taken place, that, that we get a glimpse of knowing the things that will take place. Uh, we don't know exactly when Ezekiel 38 will take place, but we do know that it's yet future. It could be soon. It, it could be in the tribulation period after the rapture of the church. Uh, people ask me, will Ezekiel 38 happen before the rapture? Come next week. We'll study this together and hear the, the war of Gog and Magog. Father, we thank you that we can study your word and just be at awe with it uh, because we know that your word is true. And Lord, for us, I just pray for anyone here tonight that if there's a deadness in your heart, dryness that has taken place, you're the one that takes the dead bones and, and brings them together and brings life. And I pray that as we read these words, knowing that you will be faithful to bring these things to pass, and you will be faithful to bring the promises that you've given to us to pass as well. You have a wonderful plan for us. We're going to go home and be with you, and our hearts would be stirred, and life would come back. So Lord, just breathe on us. Holy Spirit, just minister to us. Refresh us, renew us. And Lord, help us keep our eyes on you in the days in which we're in. We don't want to be defiled. We don't want to pursue the things of the world. But Lord, that we want to pursue the things of the kingdom. I pray you bless everyone here this weekend, Memorial Weekend. 
We thank you for those who served our nation in defending our nation. And Lord, we remember those who laid down the ultimate sacrifice for our freedoms. And Lord, we remember those who are concurrently serving. So Lord, we just ask that you would just bless this summer. Renew us, Lord, just the warmth and Lord, a new season, a new season of life in our hearts and in this church as well. And help us, as you said, when you see these things begin to come to pass, look up and rejoice for your redemption draws near. That, Lord, that we know that you're working in the days in which we're in. So I thank you for this word given to us. Bless everyone here tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Hope to see you on Sunday.